0: Where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a
1: completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast.
0: I'll be the first
1: to admit that I love a little bit of Roundup in my life. Roundup in my life. Here now is your host.
0: He is quite a character. His name is Jeff.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff. Jeff Eager.
0: Hi, and welcome to this edition, this most recent edition. I don't know what number it is. Of the Oregon Roundup podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager. Welcome. We have a very exciting interview today that I actually just taped with Kevin Dahlgren, who is a homeless outreach professional from the Portland area. He's also an addiction, pardon me, a drug and alcohol counselor. He's got decades of experience working around homelessness and addiction in the Portland area. He recently tweeted a video he took of a homeless woman on the streets of Portland talking about being homeless in Portland as being a piece of cake that went viral. As of this morning, there were over 2 million views of that video internationally. Gotten a lot of attention. Kevin then went on to wrote, write a uh, piece in the New York Post about homelessness and his what he thinks actually needs to be done about homelessness to fix it. In Oregon and elsewhere, I'll put all of that in the show notes. You'll hear a clip of the homeless woman named Wendy in the piece here. hope you enjoy it. We'll do it now and now I'd like to welcome Kevin Dahlgren to the podcast. Kevin, how are you?
1: Great, thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for joining me and it's a real pleasure to have you have Kevin on the podcast here today. He was published actually yesterday, I'm recording on January 19th, actually published two days ago in the New York Post with a piece on homelessness titled, Help Homeless People Get Off the Streets, Don't Enable Their Behavior. Kevin lives in Portland and works in the Portland area. He has long worked with the homeless population in the Portland area, and he's got a different approach to homelessness than... A lot of folks that work in that industry, if you can call it that, and you probably can. Before writing his piece for The Post, Kevin gained some notoriety by publishing on his Twitter feed a video of a homeless woman in Portland talking about the relative ease of being homeless in Portland that got, when I looked at this morning, over 2 million views. That kind of put him on the map, and then he wrote this piece for The New York Post, and he has a a lot of history and experience with homelessness in Oregon. And that's why I invited to be on here today. Kevin, tell me about the tweet and Wendy and maybe let folks know kind of what what that tweet was all about and how it came to be.
1: First of all, I live in Portland, Oregon, and I work professionally in homeless services as a homeless kind of outreach worker. The day I met Wendy, I was just downtown Portland, which I go to regularly to interview the homeless. The reason why I've been interviewing the homeless is because there's nothing more authentic than hearing it directly from the person on the streets, right? And I do this because it really gives them a voice. And the reason why I started doing this is what I was hearing just year after year when I was talking to the homeless outside of, say, my jurisdiction, you know, where I'm being employed to work. They would say things like, Kevin, you're the first outreach worker to talk to me in two to three years. And I thought that was insane. And then I started hearing it over and over and over again and hundreds of times. And I was like, oh, my gosh, where is everybody, right? And so I started interviewing the homeless, and I started asking these questions. When's the last time an outreach worker talked to you? When's the last time someone talked to you about housing? How long have you been here? Who's helping you? And the answer I'm hearing over and over again, for the most part, is nobody. And this is, again, this is downtown Portland, Oregon, right in the center of the social service hub. And while it's possible that a a handful of homeless lied to me, 100% didn't lie to me. Because once I heard this 200 plus times, I'm like, okay, something's going on. So I went down on New Year's Day, downtown Portland, just to talk to anybody who was interested in talking. And Wendy popped out of her tent, was very engaged, in a really good mood, really just wanted to talk. And turned the camera on and I just simply asked what's it like to be homeless in Portland and the answer she gave you know just really struck a chord with people throughout the United States so how is it like being homeless in Portland it's a piece of cake really I mean that's why you probably got so many out here because they feed you three meals a day you don't have to do but stay in your tent or party or if you smoke a lot of dope you can do that what else, what else Melissa what else do I say what? I'm being interviewed What's yeah, that? that's really it, it's like you wake up you go eat a blanche get high, go eat a blanche for lunch get high, go eat dinner get high, and that's all you do all day long, every day yeah, I'm being honest well, I appreciate the honesty, Yeah. doesn't feel like that's really helping anybody, it's not you, that's
0: why you see all the tents. People are up all night, okay? People are up all night, sleep
1: all day. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing, Derek. What she said in her view was it's a piece of cake to be homeless in Portland. You can sleep all day, get high, eat. Sleep all day, get high, and eat, which is basically what she said. And while this obviously doesn't represent all homeless, I know this, I think the point she was trying to get across was this is the case for a lot of them, right? And that, and that in lies, you know, what she was describing was the enabling. The enabling meaning there's no, there's no rules, there's no restrictions, there's no consequences. You basically can do whatever you want and continue to be taken care of year after year. And that's really all she was saying. And, you know, some people have said, well, that sounds really anti-homeless. I says, well, that came right from a homeless person. And she is not anti-homeless. She's actually well-liked and respected. She was being truthful because she basically was reaching out. She wants people to hear the truth because she wants the system to be fixed as much as I do. And so I really appreciate that response. And I appreciated the attention it got because it allowed me this, you know, platform to share What's really going on at the street level?
0: When you say enabling, that Oregon and maybe Portland specifically enables homelessness, and that's definitely a message that Wendy imparts, and it's one that you impart in your work, including in your New York Post piece. What specifically is it that is done, that we're doing in Oregon to homeless people that enables them to continue to be homeless? I
1: guess. Think about this. If you are taking care of a person in the streets to the point where it's no longer that they hope you come by, but they need you to come by. Because if you don't, they're unable to take care of themselves. That's created a dependency. And that means they've lost all ability of being self-sufficient. And that's the enabling. It's like, look, at what point taking care of a person, are you actually hurting them and not helping them? We need to empower these individuals out there in the enabling is rampant, not even just in Portland, but in other major cities. And the biggest reason why is because not everyone really has a solution of how to end the crisis. And so it's human nature to be like, well, we need to feed and take care of them until someone comes up with a better idea, right? And I've never said don't feed the homeless, don't clothe the homeless. I'm a strong believer in meeting their basic needs. What I'm not a believer in is meeting their basic needs 10 years in a row without offering an alternative. Eventually, you just got to get them off the streets. You can't just deliver sandwiches tenside to them for the rest of their lives for them to actually wait on you to feed them. That reaches a point where we're actually hurting these individuals. We need to empower. And empowering is a powerful, powerful thing because it gives a person ownership. It gives them a say in their own life. That's what empowering does. And when you empower an individual, the most magical thing happens is they hold on to it and they run with it. They love it. They love the responsibility. They feel good again. I tell you this, the homeless might be nice and say thank you for the sandwich. They resent it. They're tired of it. They want to be empowered. They want help off the streets. People ask me, oh, you know, some people, which I don't agree with, say they're just a bunch of lazy addicts on the streets. I will agree there's a lot of addicts on the streets, but a lot of the homeless, the reason why they've become this way is because of the system, not because of them.
0: They're suffering. So many of them are suffering yeah. from addiction or mental health issues that, that they need help with.
1: Well, and you yeah, look at it this way. Do you get mad at the enabler or the one who's enabling? So I focus all my energy on the person who's enabling, not the one being enabled.
0: Let's talk specifically about, Kevin, you're most familiar with Portland and Portland area stuff. Who is it that is enabling in terms of... Giving food and maybe other stuff to people that are living on the streets in perpetuity without, you know, kind of moving them in, helping to move them into a different situation. Are these nonprofits? Is this the city? Who is this?
1: Well, it's a handful of the nonprofits and it's a handful of the churches. And, you know, I, I work close to the churches, but they really are very giving. But when you give to the point where the person now is completely dependent on you, it's not really helping them. I wouldn't really say it's the city because the city doesn't really have outreach workers, but, you know, the city also funds some of these nonprofits that are doing this and in some ways guilty by association. I personally actually commend Mayor Wheeler lately coming out with this plan for sanctioned camping because I've always said, you know, I support sanctioned camping because it's going to get everyone off the streets today. And honestly, I'm, I, I admire his boldness. And I appreciate it because that's what it's going to take is being bold. And so I wanted to throw that out there that I've never really been that critical of Mayor Wheeler. I think that, you know, he works in a very challenging, at times, radicalized city where, you know, he's hearing it from both sides. And it's, as you know, it's just sometimes not easy being mayor. And I admire him for at least coming up with this bold plan, which hopefully will be implemented.
0: Yeah. And you're speaking of his plan to ban unsanctioned homeless Camping and to yeah. build out the shelter capacity so that folks have a place to go. And roundup listeners will will remember I, I wrote a piece about Wheeler and kind of his his turn to the mo- to moderation on that and some other issues that make me a little hopeful too. What doesn't make me hopeful is some of the pushback he's getting from Multnomah County and some of these activist groups up in Portland. Why is he getting so much pushback when the polling indicates that even Portland residents? strongly support a plan to require folks to go into a shelter if there's shelter space for them.
1: You know, what I've always said is there's nothing compassionate with allowing a person to live on the streets. So what possible problem would the activists have if Mayor Wheeler simply said, let's get them in a place where they now are in sanctioned camping, where they're going to receive wraparound care? How is that not compassionate? What is the alternative? Allowing them to languish and die downtown Portland, deep into their fentanyl habit? Like, I mean, think about it. I mean, that at least he has a plan. What's your plan? And that's what's so frustrating. Like, it's just, you, are you criticizing just to criticize? Because, I mean, what is your alternative? Because oftentimes what I hear from activists is, well, what's your plan? And they said our plan is, is to end capitalism. And when we end capitalism, all homelessness will disappear. Well, that is some fantasy utopian world you're talking about that's probably not going to happen in our lifetimes. So are you just going to be okay with people languishing and dying until that dream of yours comes true? I mean, give me a break. This is a crisis today. We need to end this crisis today. Right. right? Right. And then we can get into that deeper discussion about the root causes, right? Whether a piece of it is affordable housing or whatever piece of it is capitalism, which I don't think it is, or what a piece of it, which it definitely is, which would be addiction and childhood trauma. And that's a big piece. And so that's all I'm saying is like, look, It's a bold plan, and it's the best solution we have now, so why not try it? Why must you always be a naysayer and disagree with absolutely everything, especially since you don't have your own plan?
0: It seems to me, based on what I know about homelessness and activists that are active in it, and and providers even, there's a lot of money involved in homelessness now. And in responding, kind of in, in this infrastructure we've set up, to respond to homelessness and to, to care for those who are homeless, et cetera. And there's a bunch of people making a lot of money off of these programs and they've got a vested interest in, frankly, the status quo continue. You use the term, and this is a term I've used before, and I, I like it more than I should, the homeless industrial complex. What, what do you mean by that term?
1: Let's look at it this way. I've been doing homeless outreach. I started as a volunteer in the late 80s in downtown Portland. I started doing it professionally in the 90s. Once I graduated from college, I got even more serious about it. But what I'm saying is that what once was a cause has become this multi million dollar industry. And it's an industry with no accountability and no metrics, right? And no oversight. And that's a problem because without oversight and metrics, there's no way of even monitoring whether the job's getting done or not because the fact is it's not even shared. 90% of the time, you don't even know who's doing what, who's helping who, how much we help this person or what. There's no who, what, when, where, and why. And that's terrifying to me, especially since we're investing hundreds of millions of dollars towards it. And so what I say about the industry is that, as you said, there's a lot of money tied to it. And really what that means is there's a lot of jobs tied to it. And the reason why people don't always like when I talk about this stuff is because this is disrupting a multi-million dollar industry. And when you disrupt an industry, people lose jobs. That's unfortunate, but you know what? This is a crisis, and I'm not too concerned about that. My concern is get everybody off the streets today. And by the way, there will be plenty of jobs available once we get everyone off the streets because then we need to pivot to prevention and retention. Now we need to focus on never allowing this to happen again. That is the next logical step to ending homelessness is prevent homelessness and keep the people who we got off the streets off the streets.
0: Right. It seems to me that this the kind of homeless industrial complex has a huge amount of influence in Oregon politics and specifically in Portland and places like Bend, too. They kind of have the ear of most elected officials it seems like they also have the year of our new governor, Tina Kotek, based on her emergency declaration, quote unquote, that she unveiled right after being sworn in. What do you think of her proposal?
1: Talking about the $130 million to house 1,200 people the first year?
0: Yeah, there's that. And there were kind of three different measures that she is implementing via executive order. There's, There's that. There's declaring, just simply declaring an emergency, which just allows... State and local agencies to coordinate to address homelessness, which one would have hoped they were doing already. Uh, but it, it, in my mind, it's just more of the same. It's spending more money. It doesn't. It doesn't involve enforcement or moving off the people off the streets when shelter space is available. What are What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I certainly appreciate when I hear this is a state of emergency. But again, are they going to actually treat it as as such? Because the fact is, every day I go out, I see this as a true crisis. With my number one goal is to get as many people off the streets and to help as many people as possible. That is what we need to do. And that, unfortunately, I don't see happening in multiple cities. Calling in a state of emergency is one thing, but acting like it is another. And I'm not overly optimistic that's going to happen. And, you know, while I want to give her the benefit of the doubt because she's brand new at this, you know, I, I know Governor Brown fairly well and it certainly didn't ha- happen under her watch. Like I said, I, I want to remain cautiously optimistic because I want people to succeed, not fail, right? I want her to succeed. I want this to actually happen. Will it happen? I don't know. It really depends on if she has the right people. And right now I don't think she does.
0: It would appear she doesn't because the the difference that I detect with her is even as Wheeler and even, even mayors in places like San Francisco. Really blue city mayors are kind of trending back toward the center on issues like homelessness, trying to chart a somewhat different course than what got us into this mess. Kotek, I think in her inauguration, had a real opportunity to break with Kate Brown's record on homelessness, and to break with her own record on homelessness, Tina Kotek authored HB 3115, which makes it more difficult for cities in Oregon to ban homeless camping, even when there's shelter space available for those folks to go into. she so she has a, a strong record of supporting kind of the leniency that that Wendy and others have talked about. It seems like she's just doubled down on the same. On the same approach, which is, in my mind, uh, she's siding with the, in- the homeless industrial complex rather than where most Oregon voters are.
1: Yep. And as you said, you know, these group of people, they're very powerful and they're very political and they have a lot of influence. And question the status quo even a couple of years ago was not a smart thing to do because you would get doxxed and completely and utterly bullied <laughs> online and, and offline right? And it's only recently where it's been okay to question the status quo because what we've tried isn't working. Let's try something different.
0: Yeah, I think I think the magnitude of the problem, even since, you know, in the few years that I've been actively kind of professionally working in this homeless policy space, you can tell that the trend is toward more openness to ideas that are outside the status quo. And by the status quo, I mean the Oregon status quo, which is just allow perpetual homeless camping and throw as much money at the problem as, as you can the, without ever fixing it. I helped start a nonprofit a few years ago called the Bend Humanity Coalition that works on this issue locally here in Bend. And we we caught a lot of grief when we we first formed. But, you know, we were helpful in getting the city council to at least consider a camping ordinance. They ended up adopting one that was not actually a camping ordinance and will do no good But you can see that the the trend line is toward a more reasonable approach to this and doing something different. And anyone who who wonders about who is outside the mainstream on this issue needs only travel outside of Oregon and not to California, not to Washington. But you go anywhere east of Oregon, you you go to Idaho, you go to Texas, you go to Tennessee, you go to any, any of those places, now it's different in Washington, D.C. and New York, there's a whole lot of places where you don't see large-scale homeless camping. You have to ask yourself, why does it happen in such huge numbers here in Oregon? And it doesn't happen certainly to the same extent in these other places, and it's gotta be the policy.
1: Yeah, and you know, oftentimes these activists will say we do this because we're protecting the homeless. Well, I've always believed, you know, there's nothing compassionate with allowing a homeless person to live on the streets because they'll never get their needs met. And so what is compassionate about allowing a person to languish and die on the streets when these other cities enforced rules and got them off the streets and got them wraparound care? So who really is the anti-homeless person? Because, you know, is it the cities who actually help them or the ones that allow them to languish and die? So think about that. Like, what's more compassionate? The compassion thing to do sometimes is to show a little tough love and to empower, rather than saying, "Oh, you do you," because we love you and we're going to love you to death. That doesn't work. That is not okay.
0: And I would agree. And I think the evidence is mounting that it's not okay. I remember a year or two ago, Multnomah County came out with its homeless death numbers that have continued to just spiral upward in recent years. There's there's a lot of people dying on the streets, homeless in Oregon. That is a tragedy, and it is partially a tragedy that results from Oregon's policies around these issues that are much different than the policies around these issues in other parts of the country where they don't have that level of death on the streets. Being on the street is just dangerous. You know, you have here in Bend at some of the camps we have here, there's been shootings. There's been you know, constant theft. There's tons of police calls. It's just not safe for the folks who are living on the street, first and foremost. And that's why it, it seems self-evident to me anyway, that you've got to, yes, you have to invest in the shelter space. You have to invest in the wraparound services and the care to help these folks get their needs met and get on their feet and be able to make something of their lives. But you can't do that by subsidizing and encouraging them continuing to live in this dangerous condition on the streets.
1: Exactly. You know, think about this. No, I'm a drug and alcohol counselor and, you know, fentanyl really, you know, it's been around for many years. But in the pill form, it really just kind of blew up over the last year and a half. And has changed everything. It's completely replaced heroin. It's now virtually in all other drugs on the streets. And it's, you know, 50 to 100 times stronger than heroin. And what fentanyl is doing is not only is it highly addictive and highly deadly, what it does to a person who uses it regularly is they've lost all rational thought and critical thinking, right? And so these are now individuals that basically, you know, you can describe them as almost zombies, And at what point do we then intervene and be like, wow, we really need to help this person? Or do we say like, oh, here's another straw and foil and another needle. We love you when they don't know how to say no anymore. And so when you've lost that rational thought and critical thinking, at what point does a community need to step in and be like enough is enough? This is killing you. And that's my biggest concern with some of these activists is they're like, how dare you criticize this person? I'm like, I'm not criticizing this person, but I'm very concerned with their behaviors because it's slowly killing them. And that's terrifying to me that they even would downplay that. Because the fact is, I find bodies regularly, right? I do a lot of outreach and it's become a quite a common thing because fentanyl is so extremely deadly.
0: When you're out on the streets of Portland, you actually come across like dead bodies.
1: I have, yes. Oh, my God. And or when I'm downtown, I will see police there with the Multnomah County Corner, and they're picking up the body. And, you know, a lot of times it is a fentanyl overdose, and usually it's someone in their 20s. It's usually someone fairly young that doesn't have a lot of experience using and then tries it for the first time and just dies. And that's what's so terrifying about fentanyl is it's really like the worst thing I've ever seen in my career, and we need to treat this like the epidemic it is. And we need to get everyone off the streets today. And if, and by the way, if we all work together, we could end this crisis in months, not years. I strongly believe this. Let's just say the United States. We've gone through hundreds of state of emergencies throughout the US in our history. And we all came together and helped everybody and solved it, correct? What's different about homelessness? Why is it with this, we can't figure it out? You know, why is it that it's become some sort of debate where we have to fund more studies to talk about it behind closed doors rather than going on the streets and learning the truth? That's why I do the videos. That's why I say, hey, do you want to share your experiences? Because the fact is, nobody is listening and they need to. And so I'm going to put it out there for you. And luckily, one of my tweets went viral and now people are talking.
0: I want to get back to kind of your idea for how we can solve this crisis in months here before we wrap up. But I also, given that you're a drug and alcohol counselor and your experience with homelessness on the streets, you brought up fentanyl and how it's kind of a game changer for life on the streets and drug use in Oregon and elsewhere. How do you see Measure 110 impacting homelessness in Portland and elsewhere in the state? Well,
1: it made things far worse. It decriminalized drug use and while I, I see in theory why they did it, has anyone been downtown lately and actually seen the truth? It's actually hurt people, not helped them. Imagine taking away all restrictions from a person who lacks the critical thinking of when to say no. Imagine that where now it's like, wow, I can just I can just go as far as I, I can you know as far as I can take it until I die. And that's the thing, that's the thing that we don't talk about is that we have created a system allowing people who don't know how to say no to never say no and keep continue to use until they die. And that is the biggest flaw in 110.
0: It's, it seems pretty evident to me, and I've written this, that 110 has failed and it should be repealed or at least severely modified. Those that support it, in spite of all the evidence, say that it's still too early to tell whether it's going to work or not, in part because it took the state so long to get the money out. They believe that all this money is going to solve the problem, part of which is is resulting from, as you describe it, the other part of 110, which decriminalized these hard drugs. What is your take? Do you think that the big infusion of money is going to solve it and 110 will be saved?
1: Well, I'll answer you this way. If money were the solution, we would have already solved it by now. And I'm tired of hearing that. Where I hear every year with every new measure and every new bond, we just need more money. We need more money. Let's look back and just look how much we've actually funded this problem over the last couple decades. And every year it continues to grow. So, again, if money were the solution, we've already solved it. Money is not the solution. The solution is in our outreach and in our approach, our approach where we need to empower these individuals, daily contact, build that trust, and bring back hope. Because once a person feels trust again and hope, they're going to listen to you. They're going to work with you. They're going to accept services. That's not nearly as expensive as the money we're wasting now. So, again, I'm so tired of hearing it's all about the money. I call BS because it's not. Because we have funded – it's more funding ever than in history, yet the problem continues to grow every year. So that means money isn't the solution.
0: Right. It pretty clearly isn't, at least it seems to me. I want to be sensitive to your time here, Kevin. You mentioned your, your proposal that, you know, we could solve this crisis in a few months. If you were in charge of, say, if you were the governor of Oregon, for example, what's the first thing or maybe the first set of things that you would do on day one to start moving us towards solving the crisis?
1: Well, day one, I would treat it like the state of emergency it is a large percentage of our funding goes towards the back end with affordable housing and things. I would put a majority of the money into outreach teams and I would have dedicated outreach teams in every corner of Oregon meeting with every single homeless person, every single day to build that trust. That's what we do. A daily contact builds trust, but also deters negative behavior. Being a presence out there is huge. So once we have dedicated outreach teams going out there, not talking to them once a month, every two weeks, but every single day, this is how we end the crisis. And when people say, well, this isn't feasible, I'm like, look, if we do this the right way, we only have to do it once, right? If we do this now and end the crisis, we won't need those dedicated teams as much because we had reduced homelessness by say 95 plus percent. So that's what I would do on day one as governor, which sounds like I'm <laughs> running for governor. Is <laughs> I would have dedicated, highly trained, outreach teams talking to every single homeless person every single day you build that trust you bring back hope that is the most important step to ending this crisis because of the strong mistrust in the system and then from there we go towards getting them placed in either the shelter system transitional housing or permanent housing and i promise you this we go out there every day and talk to the homeless this is actually going to save our state hundreds of millions of dollars because of all the money we waste right now keeping a person comfortable on the streets. Think about, if we got everyone off the streets, think about the ancillary benefit of that. You almost can't calculate it. This program, this would pay for itself if we actually did it this way. So let's stop with all the tarps and tents and food and needles. Let's get everyone off the streets now. You do this now. You do the sanctioned camping. By the way, when people say there's no beds, Nine times out of 10, shelters are half empty, programs are half full, because we all, not only do we have a homeless crisis, we have a staffing crisis, is it's been very hard to find people to employ in social services. There's a lot of housing that's gone unused for a couple years now. So think about that. We got people on the streets languishing and dying while we have social service programs that manage apartment buildings with rooms. That have not been occupied in over a year or two that's completely unacceptable and that's very common everywhere we if we filled every room to complete capacity that alone would probably get over 50 percent of the people off the streets immediately you add that with the sanctioned camping we're going to get everyone off the sidewalks out of the parks and then we offer wraparound care services to every individual and work on the goal of helping them with the recovery and to reach self-sufficiency.
0: Yeah. You know, it seems to me that this issue is is like many we face. It's not a matter of lack of resources. We're allocating tons and tons of resources to this problem. But it's it's a matter of how you allocate those resources. And also, ultimately, it's a matter of lack of political will. If the folks that run our state and run our cities wanted to stop dangerous homeless camping from occurring in Oregon, they can do that. And, and in doing that looks something like what you're, what you're proposing, Kevin, they just don't want to, like, I don't think they want people to be homeless,
1: Whoa. but
0: but they would prefer to allow people to live in these dangerous unsanctioned camps on the street rather than use city code, state statute to guide these folks to shelter and to the services that they need to get better?
1: And I would say it's not necessarily that they don't want to. Oftentimes, what I say is they're scared of making the wrong decision, so they make no decision. And so what I say is a bad leader isn't a leader that makes bad decisions. A bad leader is a leader that makes no decisions. And they're scared of making the wrong decision, so oftentimes they're like, well, let's just keep things the way they are and continue to take care of them on the streets. Because they don't know what's going to work and what's not. I say you got to try something. And so it's not like I think there's some true conspiracy of let's keep them on the streets. I think they're just terrified of making that bold decision to get them off the streets once and for all because of all the pushback they get. Well, you know what? You know, anytime you go bold, you're going to ruffle a few feathers. But in in this type of crisis, you know, people... Need to just be okay with not being liked by everybody because once everyone's off the streets, people are going to come around and be like, "Wow, thank you for doing this."
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kevin, i really appreciated your time today, and we're we're about out of time. Kevin, how how would Roundup Podcast listeners find you on Twitter and find your podcast and anything else you have going?
1: You could just look up Kevin Dahlgren on Twitter. I'm very involved with this fantastic nonprofit in Seattle called We Heart Seattle, and we are an action-based, boots-on-the-ground movement that organizes trash cleanups in our public spaces and then offers resources to people in need. We have a very assertive approach where we work a person through their ambivalence and do everything in our power to just, in our small way, help end this crisis. So I've been very involved with We Heart Seattle for the last couple of years, and there's someone to definitely look up. But look for me on Twitter, just Kevin Dahlgren. I think my handle is Kevin V. Dahlgren because someone has my name. So I had to add the little annoying initial in the middle. (laughs) Yep. If you really just type in Kevin Dahlgren homeless, I'm very involved with this. You're going to find me on either my Facebook page or on my Twitter handle. And I, I appreciate the support.
0: Well, thank you, Kevin. Keep up the good work out there. Keep spreading the word. You've got people that resonate with what you're saying out here, even though, At times, you may hear more from the folks who disagree with you. Thanks for your time, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kevin Dahlgren as much as I did. It's amazing the way that the conversation about homelessness has changed over the years recently, and we got into this a little bit during the interview. It truly was radioactive to touch this issue Even a couple years ago, if you were someone that was pushing for a change to the approach, which would mean to say that we need some enforcement as part of the solution to this thing, and to point out that addiction and mental health are kind of core problems that are influencing homelessness. And if you got off of the talking points that progressives like to use, that homelessness is entirely, as Kevin put it, a result of capitalism or entirely the result of a lack of affordable housing you were pilloried that's happened to me personally it's happened to kevin a lot more it's good that we can have these conversations now a little bit more freely these are conversations we absolutely have to have because the progressive policy approach to homelessness is having really regressive results in the in terms of deaths on the streets of homeless people And those who do survive, just having their lives ruined in many cases. This is a real real tragedy for our state. It's one that's impacting a lot of places in our state. It's not just Portland. It's Bend, as we talked about in the interview. It's other smaller cities throughout the state. What it comes down to is it's a choice. Oregon is making a choice to be a place where people come to die on the streets. It should make a different choice. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more from the Roundup podcast and the Oregon Roundup newsletter. This is Jeff Eager. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Roundup podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.